Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. On today's episode of the Journey Women Podcast, I'm chatting with Amy Gannett about why women need theology. We talked about everything from what theology is to how growing in it enhances our understanding of the gospel. Listen to what she said. In real time, the gospel has real impact on what we say and what we do. Yes, it has behavioral impact, but also right now, I am in Christ. You know, if this hurricane blew over my house and my life on this earth ended, my right now is impacted for eternity because I am in Christ. So I'm secure. So all of that is theology. All of that is our real-time experience of the gospel. Listen, I can almost guarantee that you guys are going to want to be best friends with Amy after you finish listening to this conversation. I know I did. So you'll know her a little better. Amy Gannett is a Bible teacher and writer with a passion for good theology and exegetical Bible study, which don't worry, we'll explain what that is in the episode. She got her BA in Biblical Exposition and Biblical Studies from Moody Bible Institute and her Master's of Divinity from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. She teaches a digital Bible study through her website and creates theology training tools for kids through Tiny Theologians. Amy and her husband, Austin, are currently church planters in eastern North Carolina. Now, on to my conversation with Amy on the topic of why women need theology. Amy, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Just before you even say anything, I want to tell you that I respect you so much from afar, and I feel really honored to sit in my closet and drink coffee with you while you're navigating just the stress (laughs) of what you're going through right now with Hurricane Florence. Oh my gosh, thank you for joining us in spite of that. I'm so, so glad to be on. Thanks for having me. So what's it been like over there? Are things calming down? Like I've been watching your Instagram posts over the past couple of days and it seems like things have been pretty wild. Yeah, we are just coming to the end of Florence going through our small town here in the area. And I think right now it's swinging northwest of us. But the storm, as far as we're concerned here, has passed. The eye has passed over. And now we're kind of starting to deal with two things. One is cleanup, local cleanup. We've right. got lots of trees down, power is starting to get turned back on, which is awesome. We had some flash flooding and stuff that's going to be resolved, I think, fairly quickly. But the main thing that we're kind of bracing ourselves for is Kinston, our little town, sits on the Noose River. And so uh-huh. as cities that are north of us, as they fill with water and they release their dams, they end up coming down this way. And we're kind of bracing ourselves for a little bit of flooding, flooding in yeah. our downtown area. So We'll just kind of all wait and see what that looks like. But it is kind of a neat thing. This is my first time living in a particularly small town. Yeah. It, it is such a cool experience to see communities come mm. together and to see churches of different denominations really working together, serving out of one kitchen or yeah. putting together one shelter. You know, you just see this community come together in really neat ways because of its size. Yeah. So it's been really encouraging to see the body of Christ serve others. And it's easy to remember that everybody's your neighbor when you live in a small town and you're like, yeah, I live within proximity to all yes. of these people and I can really be of practical help. So we'll see what's ahead. But so far, we've been really thankful that the destruction wasn't worse and really encouraged to see people helping each other. It's been really interesting to follow. Is this the first time that you've ever been in like hurricane territory because you're from the Midwest? (laughs) Yes. 
<laughs> yeah. So this is actually my first it's kind of terrifying. And, yes. And um, so I told everybody, this is kind of my first hurricane. What do I need to be prepared for? And yeah. everybody just sort of laughed and rolled their eyes because they thought, of course, you'll be here for a historic, you know, it's my right. first experience is sort of a historic experience. So yeah, it's new territory to me, but my husband who grew up in North Carolina okay. was super prepared. So I'm just head over heels thankful that he knew yeah. exactly what to do and, you know, all of those sorts of things. So did you and your hubby meet like in college when you were doing your uh, biblical studies and stuff like that? We actually met in seminary. So cool. I did my undergrad at Moody and then moved up to outside the Boston area uh-huh. for seminary, Gordon-Conwell, and that is where we met. So we actually didn't have class together, but, um, you know, anybody who knows me knows that we're we're not really cutesy people, but we do have sort of a cute meeting story because he was living off campus and I was on campus studying outside. I had just moved from Chicago, which, you know, is uh-huh. um, a cement concrete jungle, yeah. which I absolutely adored. And then I moved on to Gordon Conwell's campus, which in comparison looks like a golf course. Wow. It's like this sprawling hills and big trees. And I thought I was literally in paradise and I was studying outside under a tree and this golden retriever puppy came running over to me. <laughs> and I was like, where is your owner? And it was Austin. So that's actually a how we met. It's not kind you. of ridiculous. That is awesome. We're not super adorable people, but every once in a while I'm reminded like we did really have a meet cute. Well, and I think you're adorable because every Sunday night you bust out a nice charcuterie hey. board. And you make me want to come to wherever you're at to share it with you. That's like your Sunday tradition, right? That's right, girl. You just come on over. We love it. So when we first got married, we were working very different schedules. And being in ministry Mm -hmm. does have this strange tendency to make you dislike Sundays in a way because it's really your Monday. It's like a work. Yeah, in a lot of ways. And yeah, and so we sort of had this tension between Mm -hmm. Austin having Sundays as a work day and me having Sundays as a technical day off. But as Mm -hmm. his partner in ministry, sort of as a volunteer worker. So we had kind of a weird relationship with Sundays. And we knew when we first got married that we wanted to practice Sabbath and we wanted to be intentional about enjoying the Lord's Day. And so we set up this tradition. I think we started it like three weeks after our honeymoon where we thought, what is a tradition that we can establish Sunday night Mm -hmm. so that we don't sort of get to two o'clock on Sundays and we're like, the weekend's over. You know, start lamenting Monday morning. So we wanted to establish something that we would look forward to Sunday night so that Sundays felt longer. They felt more restful, kind of Mm -hmm. that intentional Sabbath. And so we started doing a cheese board. And, you know, when we first got married, it was literally like, Mm-hmm. You know, we would go Velveeta. buy blocks of, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, like, we were so poor. Our first year married, I was still a student. I was finishing the last year of my Master's of Divinity, and Austin was working at the seminary. And so, I mean, literally, we were buying, like, sliced sandwich cheese and cutting it into cubes for our cheese board. Like, it was just, we were so, so far below the poverty line. And so... We started doing that, but then over the years, we've been able to, you know, expand our uh-huh. cheese. You added some pears. You know? so, yeah. yeah. So we've been, you know, able to enjoy that. So every Sunday night, kind of rain or shine, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't have power this week and it was Austin's birthday. And oh. so we sat in the dark and had a cheese board. Okay. And we were just reminded, like, the Lord just meets us. Like, the Lord yes. meets us wherever we are and chooses to give us rest. So it's been a fun liturgy to intentionally practice for that reason. Oh, man. Well, you don't think you're Cute, but I think that's adorable. And every time I see uh, one of those I'm cheese so boards, the only <laughs> problem is, Amy, full disclosure, I'm lactose intolerant. There is no good option for you. <laughs> I'm really sorry. We have had lactose intolerant friends join us for cheese boards uh-huh. and all I like, get the lactose free cheese and they're just terrible. No, and I'm really awful. sorry. Yeah, it's, Peace it's be disgusting. with you, my friend. I don't know what I can, I, I wish I had more encouragement for you in the lactose. It's like my gluten-free friends. I'm like, I'm really sorry about the bread. Like it's just not as good. <laughs> I know. In the new kingdom, Hunter, yes. you'll be able to have a cheese I'm board. I'm convinced and ice cream and Lord. all the things. Amen. Well, I also feel like you're with me at my table every day because we pull out your ABC Tiny Theologian cards and we try to go through them. My uh, kids are two and three years old. My three-year-old, she's very verbal and so she's tracking. I think she's finally got down that A is for atonement. Uh, Hey, that's great. (laughs) But I really appreciate all of your work and I'd love for the listeners just to get to hear a little bit more about who you are and what you do. 
Yeah. So I do a couple of things. I wear a couple of different hats, but Tiny Theologians has sort of been a passion project of mine that I've developed over the last year. I'm and about you don't have kids, do you? It. No, we don't have kids. Uh-uh. Which so I think is, is so like, cool. Well, it kind of came more out of a desire to develop theologically robust tools for women. So a lot of people don't know this about the Tiny Theologians line. Um, I really care about kids. I was a children's ministry director for a couple of years and really enjoyed that. So I love teaching kids. Um, My real passion, though, like and I don't say this all the time because you don't want people to think that your primary focus isn't on teaching kids, especially right. through the Tyree Theologians line, <laughs> but it really grew out of this yeah. desire to see women learn theology. Yes. And I noticed that as I started teaching theological Bible studies online and in person, mm-hmm. I, I had this great span of ages, but I had sort of empty nesters, retirees, and then Mm. those who were single or newly married without kids. And I sort of was missing, there was this gap in the middle of young moms. We don't have time. They they don't have time. That's just the reality. And so the more I talked with them, the more I, you know, wanted to put theologically robust tools in their hands, the more I realized that moms, young moms in particular, will make time to do things with their kids that they, you know, you guys sacrifice so much for your kids. You'll spend money on your kids and not spend it on yourselves. You'll Uh spend time on your kids Uh and not spend it on yourself. And so I thought, here is an avenue where I can encourage parents to teach their kids things. But also I sort of noticed parents are learning these things also, which was sort of my like initial, it really fell within the wheelhouse of what I want to do with my life. And that's equip women with theology. And so Tiny Theologians grew out of that. And it has been such a joy to see it go forward. It has just been so fun to see the Lord open doors for these tools to be used in kids' lives that beyond what I could have expected. And there's nothing that is more nourishing to my soul than to have parents write me and say, Aww. you know, we were talking about, you know, the ABCs of theology, the letter F stands for faith. And, you know, we read the definition, we read the Bible verse, and my eight-year-old said, well, do I have faith? And they get to have like salvation conversations with their kids. And so that is just such a neat thing to be able to be a part of. And I've just been really grateful for that. So Tiny Theologians is a big part of what I do these days. I I do the creative and the content development. Um, My seminary background really lends itself well to creating theology tools for kids. And then I also teach an online Bible study. Mm -hmm. For men and women, it's sort of a theological, exegetical Bible study that's okay. done digitally yeah. so that people who want to do a little bit more mm-hmm. excavating in the text, which is where we get the word exegesis, if they want to do a little bit more digging and look at literary structure, if they want to mm-hmm. look at Hebrew and Greek vocab and do word studies and stuff like that, they're able to do that with this study. When I graduated from seminary, I love a devotional. Like, I'm just not ever going to be beyond a good devotional book. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can talk down about devotional books in our circles, but listen, there are some devotional books out there that have just really ministered to me in my time of need when I've been really mentally exhausted. They just presented the Word in a way that I can receive it. You know, when I feel discouraged, they've encouraged me with the Word Mm. and helped me apply it. So I will never grow past a Mm. good devotional book. But I also noticed that I, I, when I did want more, when I wanted to do more robust Mm -hmm. work in Mm -hmm. the text, there weren't really a lot of resources that I could turn to. So I decided to start one. And so that's where my digital study comes out of. So those are kind of the two things that I spend a lot of my time doing. And then my husband and I are also church planters. So I wear a lot of hats these days, but Yes. It's a really fun road, man. You yeah. know, when the Lord calls, you get to go to all these, do all these different things that He calls you to that yes. are not necessarily what you expected, but so much better than you could have planned. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. 
I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. We'll be sure to link to everything in the show notes because we get a lot of people wanting to learn how to study their Bible in a more in-depth mm. way. I talk a lot about like inductive studies. So can you just explain what is exegesis? And then maybe we can move into a little bit of like, what is theology, which is what we want to talk about today. Yeah. Well, exegesis is really going to the text and seeing what does it say Yeah. Um, before we ask the question, what does it mean? Mm-hmm. So it's going to the text and saying, I want to excavate this. I think that's the best modern term to help us get a mental picture of what it means to exegete the text, to mm-hmm. go to the text and say, what is here? And what mm-hmm. is the culture behind what mm-hmm. is being said here? And why is this author saying these words to this audience? And what cultural weight do they have? Um, and why did the author use this Greek word for love as opposed to that Greek word for love? Yeah, it's really saying, what does the text say before we ask what it means Mm -hmm, and then what it mm -hmm. means for us? So a lot of devotionals can go right to what does the text mean for me? And there's, I do think there's a place for for application. There's a great source of encouragement for us there. But also, we very often need to come to the text and say, what does it say? Right. What does it say about who God is? What does it say mm-hmm. about His character before we apply it to ourselves? Because the text is written to us. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Reformation taught us that the text, the Bible is for us, mm-hmm. but it's, it wasn't for us first. And I think we right. often forget that. So we want to go to the text and say, what does it say? And then we can go on from there and say, what does it mean? And then we can say, what does it mean for us? But that's the process of exegesis. Mm-hmm. It's starting with the bones, the skeleton of the text, and then letting it, the Lord, um, mm-hmm. by His Spirit, apply it to our lives. So that's what um, exegesis mm-hmm. is. I need every reminder that this story is not about me, because it can get really suffering. And I can become incredibly anxious, incredibly Mm. depressed when I think that this whole thing is about me. And I think exegetical Bible study helps me to remember that this actually isn't about me. And in fact, um, studying theology does the same thing for me. So can you give the listeners just a little breakdown of what actually is theology, Amy? Yeah. Theology, if you break it down into its original um, theos, is the word for God. And then ology is the piece of the word that we put on any word to mean the Uh study of. So biology is the study of life. So theology is the study of God. It's studying who God is and articulating in ways that we can understand and comprehend and remember about the character and nature of God. So theology, I like to remind people, we all have it. You can ask anybody on the street what what they believe about God. Uh You can ask anybody on the street, anybody in a pew on a Sunday morning, who is God? And whether or not they consider themselves a theologian, they do have a theology. They have a belief system about who God is. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is if we all are theologians, if we all Mm -hmm. do possess a a belief about who God is, have we taken the time to do that really well? Mm -hmm. Have we taken Mm -hmm. the time to make sure that our theology lines up with what the Bible teaches us about who God is? Does it line up with what we know to be revealed in the scriptures about who God is? So the study of theology really is biblical studies. It's mining the text to see who God is. And then there are a lot of different ways that theology can be sorted. If you've heard the term systematic theology, it's going through the scriptures systematically on different topics. So you can do a systematic theology of baptism and look at all the right. texts in scripture that speak about baptism. Or, um, and then there's um, biblical, biblical theology yeah. and historic theology. You can order mm-hmm. it in different ways, but in its ba- most basic form, um, it's a study of God. And it's something that we all have a responsibility yeah. to do as believers. Yeah. So why is theology important specifically for us as women? Hmm. Well, I think it's important for all humans. I think all people, believers, unbelievers, really need to grapple with um, the concept of who God is and to look into the things of God. But I think specifically as women, we can often, I think cultural, there are cultural influences Mm -hmm. that go into this, historic influences, ecclesial influences that go into this. But we often don't consider ourselves theologians. I think in the church, men are more prone to consider themselves theologians are capable of studying theology. And the church has a lot of currents that have 
created that. Mm-hmm, uh, but a mm-hmm. lot of women won't naturally think of themselves as theologians. Right. And I think that's so to our detriment mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. we as people created in the image of God are created to know God. We're created to know mm-hmm. he has revealed himself to us and we're created to have a relationship with him. And so if we take a back seat to studying God, um, then we miss out. <laughs> yeah. We absolutely miss out in our own spiritual lives. We miss out in the local church as being people who think about these things and talk about these things and teach about the things of God. Mm-hmm. As young moms, as a primary parent that spends the primary amount of time with their children, if if young moms don't think of themselves as theologians, then it's to their own detriment and to the detriment of their children. Mm-hmm. If we don't look into these things, if we don't consider who God is and what He's done and what the Word says about who God is, then we miss out on being people who can accurately share from the Word of God and accurately teach others about who He is. So I think mm-hmm, it's really mm-hmm. important for women, mostly because most of us won't assume <laughs> that we are theologians. And so it's really important that we take that gut check and say, I do believe some things about mm-hmm. God, but do I believe the right things? Do I believe the things God has told me in his scriptures about who he is? Do I have a mental construct of who God is and his character that isn't who he's revealed himself to be? Mm-hmm. Um, because at the end of the day, God's the authority on who he is. And we don't get to say who he is if it contradicts with who mm-hmm. God says he is. And so we need to listen to who mm-hmm. God has revealed himself to be in the primary place he's done that is in his word. So we miss out when we put that aside, when we consider ourselves not to be um, capable of studying theology, when we consider ourselves not to be theologians. Absolutely, because... What we believe about God impacts what we believe about ourselves. And what we believe about ourselves impacts the way in which we live in light of Mm -hmm. who He is and the way in which we think about ourselves. So it does impact our day-to-day. And I think a lot of times we think theology is so disconnected from the day-to-day. And I really want to get into that a little bit later. But first, I want to talk about how growing in our understanding of who God is, as you mentioned, grasping theology is actually going to enhance our understanding of the gospel. Yeah. Well, I think that a lot of times when we talk about the gospel, the gospel as a vocabulary word can be so overused that we often forget what it means. I think that sometimes in our churches, I mean, our church, my husband and I are the primary culprits of this. You know, we talk about gospel communities and gospel mission and gospel giving, and we have all (laughs) of, we put gospel on things a lot, which is such uh we're such products of our time i feel right, like right 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 <laughs> so, but we you know gospel can be so overused that we don't actually remember what it means, and it's the good news that we could not save ourselves right. because we were separated from God by our sin, and that God made a way for us to be in right relationship with Him by Himself. He offered Himself. He doesn't offer us something other than His mm. very own Son mm. in salvation. Mm-hmm. And so we forget mm-hmm. that the gospel is this very real-time experience for mm-hmm. us. You and I, if we are in Christ, um, we are, are right now, our this moment is different than it ever would have been apart from Christ. So in real time, the gospel has real impact on what we say and what we do. Yes, it has behavioral impact, but also right now I am in Christ. You know, Uh if this hurricane Uh blew over my house and my life on this earth ended, my right Mm. now is impacted for eternity because I'm Mm -hmm. in Christ. So I'm secure. So all of that is theology. All of that is our real-time experience of the gospel. And so it has immediate implications yes. for our lives because right now we are secure in Christ. But then I also think it has day-to-day implications for mm-hmm. our lives mm-hmm. as we remember that the gospel is real, that mm-hmm. it's a true message, that it's not just good news, but it's true good news. And so Christ is coming and his kingdom is ultimate. And so I have been so encouraged, like I said, seeing our little community recover from the storm and even help neighbors in preparation for Mm -hmm. the potential flooding that's coming because there are people that very much at their own expense in ways that are very costly to themselves are giving of their resources, time, and energy. You know, we had Mm -hmm. so many friends and neighbors who prepped for this storm you know, they told people they expect to be about two weeks without power. So there are people that are mm. baking and cooking to meal prep in in wow. ways. You know, so they have food without having a fridge and, you know, all of these sorts of things. They're, they're really preparing. And then when, when other neighbors weren't able to prepare because they're elderly or they're ill oh, or wow, whatever yeah. reason, they are giving of their resources mm. at very much mm. real cost to themselves. Absolutely. And the only 
thing that allows us to do that mm. is because we know that this world is not ultimate, mm-hmm. you know, because the kingdom of God is real, because it's coming. That, you know, First Peter 1 promises us that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven. And so these yes. temporary things that we're going through, they're temporary. They're going to pass. They're right. going to fade. Right. And so I think that... I mean, a lot of what we're talking about is a theology. This is theology. Uh-huh. And so it impacts the things that we choose to spend our time on today, the ways, the words that we choose to use, the friendships right. that we choose to engage. It really impacts these day-to-day decisions. So not only in terms of our own salvation, but in terms of the way that we live our lives. Christians who have a robust theology of the coming kingdom of God live their lives in such a way that they keep nothing for the next life. Mm. You know, we don't have to yeah. save anything. We don't have to save save any energy, save any money. You know, we don't have to hope for a rollover plan. We don't store things away in storehouses. We get to give it all away for the sake of God's kingdom because we know that that's the truest investment that we can make. And so in day-to-day ways, our theology really encourages us to live in light of our relationship with Christ and it reorients everything. Mm-hmm. When we look at the New Testament, we see, especially when Christ is teaching, he's always talking about the kingdom of God in these ways that make no sense to his disciples. He's always talking about how the least is the greatest, the last is the first. Right. You know, the widow who gave two mites gave more than the rich. You know, it's kind of this weird- Paradoxical. You know, and the disciples, yeah, the disciples are listening and they're going, we don't get it. And we read yeah. and we go, we don't get it. Yeah. But it's because everything in the kingdom of God is upside down from yeah. this world. You know, yeah. so upside down version of how this world teaches us to use our resources and time and energy. And so as we learn about who God is, it impacts the way that we live our day-to-day lives Mm -hmm, because we mm -hmm. get to live into this reality of the kingdom of God. We get to live into this reality of who God is and what he's doing in the world and be a part of it in ways that the world preaches and teaches against. Mm -hmm. It really pumps the brakes on us being a part of how God is growing his kingdom. So Mm -hmm. As we study who God is, we get to live our lives differently and we get to participate in much greater things because we get to participate mm-hmm. in what God is doing. Yeah, man, it's such an encouragement to me because sometimes I can feel like I need to fix the way that I'm living. Like mm-hmm. I need to focus all my energy and all my effort on like yeah. fixing my worship of God. And it's like, okay, well, that's actually something that I can invest time in growing in my understanding yeah. of who God is through his word and that that will organically flesh itself out in my like doxology or the way in which I live as a result of what I believe about who God is. And so I think especially as a mom of little people, sometimes I can just fixate on like, here's all the things that I need to do to change my methodology or the way in which Hmm. I'm practicing. You know what I'm saying? Like the the steps to like make myself a better person slash mother. Right. But I think this is just a real encouragement to me that actually investing time in my relationship with the Lord and in my engagement with the text or the Bible Mm -hmm. is like a real valuable use of time. How would you encourage those of us who are in the midst of a really demanding season, maybe like motherhood, maybe somebody who's in college, like a real demanding season of life? How would you encourage us to grow in our theology in the midst of those really trying, tiring seasons of life? Yeah, that's good. The truth is, is that all of us are going to have those, whether we're in college or, you know, in college you have finals and then when you Mm -hmm. graduate, you have demanding jobs and jobs come in different busy seasons. And if you get married, you have trying times in marriage. And if you have kids, you have yeah. busy times of parenting. I mean, these th- these seasons are always going to come and there has to be a way to study theology. Totally. There has to be a way to invest in your own understanding of who God is. And so I would say two things. One, look for God in the text. Theology is the study of God. And so whether yes. you read one verse, yes. two verses, three verses, one chapter, whatever it is, fix your eyes on who God is. Yes. Behold his character and let that be your nourishment. It's sort of like, like when we start, I don't know if you've ever done, gone through a season where you start like, you know, I went through a season a couple months ago where I really had to build up my immune system. And so I had mm. to start cutting sugar out of my diet. Oh, why'd you have to say that? I'm over here coughing. <laughs> don't tell me that. <laughs> Those germs love to eat the sugar we eat. <laughs> so I really had to cut out, I had to cut out sugar for a while. And uh-huh. it wasn't until I did that, that I sort of started realizing yeah. how many things I was eating that had tons of sugar in them. Right. Until you 
you're really paying attention, you don't realize the quality of the stuff you're feeding yourself. And so I would encourage people in a busy season to look at what they're feeding themselves spiritually Mm. and say, does this have sustenance? Is this pointing me towards God? Is this teaching me from God's word about Mm. his character? Mm. Because as we fix our eyes on who God is, as we fix our eyes on his character, we can have confidence. The word of God teaches us that we can have confidence that that will nourish us in a true and eternal and lasting way, more than inspirational quotes on Pinterest that tell us about our own abilities. Uh, And so I would really encourage people to look at what they're reading, look at what they're studying or using as spiritual sustenance and say, does this point me more to me? Does Mm. this build me up? Is it telling me that I can do more than I ever thought I could? Uh, Or is it teaching me that I am limited and God is unlimited? Is it pointing me towards his eternal character? So that would be my first thing. Just look for God because that that understanding of who God is, is going to change your life. It really is. It's going to change what you believe about who God is. It's going to nourish you in a way that um, is paradoxical. It's going to seem like I'm taking my eyes off myself. How am I going to make sure I'm also taken care of? But as we fix our eyes on God as our source and sustenance, He is going to fill and sustain us. So look for God in the text, whether it's one, two, three, four verses or Mm. uh, entire chapter, look for God. And then I would also say, when you're in a season where you do have more time, when Mm -hmm. you start noticing your schedule is shifting, you know, whether the kids go to preschool and you Mm -hmm. have a little bit Mm -hmm. more time in the day, what, you know, whether finals are over and you're in spring break, when you do notice you have more time, give yourself the opportunity, give yourself the gift of developing tools that when you go into the next busy season, you have Mm -hmm. a toolbox to pull from. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to pick up new tools of studying the Bible or pick up new resources that are more uh, mentally demanding Mm -hmm. when we're in busy seasons. But when you're out, Mm -hmm. pick up those Mm -hmm. tools and give yourself the gift of um, building up the reserve in your own spiritual yeah. life that you can pull from. Memorize scripture so that when you're in a trying time, you have scripture yes. readily on your mind and on your lips. So those are the two things that I would say to people in busy seasons, which I've been in myself. Yeah, I've totally. been in tons of seasons totally. like that. And yeah, I think that we can really draw some nourishment from God's word as we um, practice those things. Yeah. I can't remember if this was in Women of the Word or maybe a podcast that I heard Jen Wilkins speaking on, but she talked about how it's kind of like a bank account where we're making little investments day to day into this account. And eventually we're going to be able to like make a withdraw from those, you know, or we're we're withdrawing from them every day. And so I take heart in that when I'm like reading through the text, like right now, Amy, I'm reading chronologically. And so I have just been in the thick of Zechariah and Ezra and yeah. all of these things, yeah. just anxiously awaiting the few moments that I have <laughs> until I get to Matthew, honestly, That's because right. I'm like, man, I don't have time to go in and study the text yeah. to the degree that I desire right now, because I know right. I only have 30 minutes before my kids right. wake up. But I'm going to make this investment, and I'm going to read this, even though I may not understand fully what I'm right. reading right here, and trust that maybe one day this is going to reap reward, you know? Yes. Amen. And that's really encouraging. And we know that it can. It's one of God's promises in His Word. In Isaiah 55, He teaches us that His Word goes forth, and He gives mm-hmm. us this metaphor of the rain. You know, the rain doesn't ever fall on the ground without, without accomplishing the nourishment for the land. He mm. said, so in the same way, my Word doesn't go forth without accomplishing what I intended mm. to. So we can believe that even when we don't experience yeah, it. Yeah, when it's not when feeling we organic. Sit, yeah, when we sit with the Word and we're like, well, I didn't get anything out of that. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed right. to We can trust that the Lord is accomplishing what He wants it to accomplish in our own lives. And so, and I think it's important for us too to remember that studying God's Word is a way that we worship Him. And mm. so there are times, li- mm. I mean, I was, <laughs> my, my sweet husband had, um, I won't soon forget the day that we talked about, we were walking out of church and I said something like, you know, I didn't really enjoy worship this week. And he was like, that's okay. It wasn't about you. And it's like, ooh, that's why you marry a seminarian. <laughs> yeah, you know? like, <laughs> no why. empathy so, there. It's like, mm, that's really true. You know? And I think Francis Chan actually said something similar in one of his books. Mm-hmm. When a congregant came to him, he said something like, um, who said, I didn't really like worship today. And he said, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. And it's like, oh, it stings, but it's true. Yeah. It only stings because we know it to be true. And so when we're in the word and we're like, 
what was I supposed to get out of that? I don't know. We can also know that God's accomplishing something that we don't see and we can believe it even when we don't feel it. And so that gives us confidence Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that, you know what, daily faithfulness really matters. Um, Even when it's not emotionally satisfying. And Mm -hmm. there will be times that the Lord meets us in the text in ways that are emotionally satisfying. Thanks be to God. He does that and He meets us in a very personal and intimate way. But when that's not the case, Mm -hmm. we can with joy say, Lord, I'm being faithful. I'm obeying. Mm -hmm. And I, I I'm trusting that you are going to cause this to bear fruit in this season. Yes. Just knowing that that's the reality of the situation has helped me to walk forward. And I think ultimately helped me transition from a sugar-filled diet, if you will, one in which I Mm -hmm. walk away with like tons and tons of practical applications fixated around me to really growing in my understanding of who God is because I'm doing some things like reading Zechariah that I wouldn't have done if I was trying to walk away with a practical application for the day, you know? Mm, That's good. That's really good. How can we encourage each other, Amy, to behold the Lord, to fear Him, to taste and see that He is good, and really to grow in our theology as believers? Yeah, I think one of the things that we can do in a very practical way with our friends is um, if we're in Bible studies, if we're in small groups or community groups at our church, we can just practice, intentionally practice pointing Mm -hmm. each other to God's character in the text. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know about other churches, but some of the women's ministry circles that I've run in in the past have been more like, let's all say what we think the text means for us, and then we're going to pass around a plate of scones and leave. And it's just sort of this stereotype of women's ministry that Uh it exists for a reason. And I'm really thankful. I'm... (laughs) I'm in the season of life, you know, I walked through the doors of our current church about a year ago Mm -hmm. and had these sort of assumptions about what women's ministry would look like based on what it had looked like in the past. And I have just been so blown away. The Lord has surprised me in so many sweet ways. The women of my church are theologians. They are Bible students. I mean, these women are exegeting the text in a way that I don't think I've seen before in a local church, and I've just been so blessed by it. Mm. If you find yourself in a situation, Mm -hmm, in a mm -hmm. small group where everybody is giving personal interpretation, Mm -hmm. um, start practicing Mm -hmm. pointing people to who God is and to His character. Start practicing adding that to the conversation. I think that's a really simple and basic way, even in our conversations with friends, when friends share that they are hurting or grieving Mm -hmm. or there's loss. Often what we want to do is say something like, it's going to be okay. We know that you're strong enough to make it through this. You know, all of these things, which might be good and true. Those things might be good and true. But we also want to start by saying, the God's word teaches that he is near the brokenhearted. And so I'm believing that he is near you because you are brokenhearted. We are promised in scripture that the Lord um, binds up the wounds of those who are hurting. And so I'm going to pray that he would bind up your wounds. We want to start pointing people, um, each other to who God Uh is and what he has promised in his word. And I was reminded by that this week as our town was dealing with um, disaster recovery. Right. I want to have God's word readily on my lips. Yeah. And I can only do that as I'm putting God's in word it. in my heart. Yes. <laughs> I've been in God's word. And so, um, yeah, we study for our, um, our own worship of God, but also because it blesses our community. So mm-hmm. get into the word and then point people to who mm-hmm. God is mm-hmm. from his word as you are in relationships and in small groups with people. Yeah. What's the joy in doing that, Amy? Like, what is the joy in pursuing uh, sound biblical theology for the glory of God? Oh, I mean, the truth is, is that the greatest thing that we will ever know, the greatest thing that we will ever consider or ponder is who God is. I mm. mean, we look at, we look back at the garden and mm. we see all of this mm. goodness. And I mean, I think that our understanding of Eden can sometimes be a little trite when we think about, oh, it was just this perfect place and now we're in fallenness, but we forget that it's because God walked among them. God spoke and it was good because He is good. God is the essence of goodness. And so as we dwell on who He is, that is our greatest joy. As we understand who He is, we're drawn into worship and there is joy to be found in God alone. There is joy to be found there. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times that I've heard from people that are in the pit of despair. Their Mm -hmm. life is at the bottom of the pit and they can turn their eyes to God and say, he is my greatest hope. He is my greatest joy because of who he is. And so there's joy to be had 
in God Mm -hmm. because God Mm -hmm. is good Mm -hmm. and because it's, you know, it's all true. You know, all of this is Mm -hmm. true. It's not just good news that we pass around, which it is, Mm -hmm. but it's also true good news. Mm -hmm. And so I think just as we behold God, there's joy to be found because God is joy. There is joy in who He is because He's real and He's for us and He's made Himself noble to us. So I think that there is real joy to be had just in learning more of who He is. And that gives us real hope to offer real hurt um, in our lives instead of saying that things are going to be okay when we know that they might not be. We know that in an ultimate sense, things will be okay because God is going to return. We can give people real Mm -hmm. hope because we have real joy in who God is. Yeah, totally. I mean, so often we look to the gifts that God has given us as our joy. And I think so much of our life is His kindness in reorienting our gaze to our true joy, which is God Himself. Yeah, and when we take our eyes off of the things of this world and we focus on who God is, we then allow God to redefine the gifts that He's given us. Yes. My husband and I have experienced this in really practical ways with our Sunday night liturgy. There have been seasons where in ministry, we have sort of felt like, I don't know if martyrs is a good way to put it, but we feel like pretty entitled to rest because we've served on Sundays. I don't know if that makes sense, but like we have felt sort of like, Um, that we deserve Sabbath. And so we eat that same meal with selfish hearts. (laughs) And we come to the table and say, there's a little bit of, uh, we we can use inward, internally, we use language Mm -hmm. of deserving it or being entitled to it. Mm -hmm. And the Lord in His Mm -hmm. kindness allows that to Mm -hmm. be dissatisfying. The Lord does not allow it to be received as a gift. But in the times where we come and we say, Lord, this is all your work. All of it is yours because you are good and we are coming alongside you in the feeble and meek ways that we're able to and saying, Lord, take whatever we have that you can use for Mm. your kingdom. Then we Mm. come to our Sunday night table Mm. and we say, Lord, with open hands, we're receiving this good gift. And so the Lord really does reorder us and reform us in understanding the good gifts that He's given us Mm. because He has given good gifts throughout this world. Listen, a cheap Board and homemade bread. Like these are the good <laughs> gifts of the Lord. Often. Amen and amen. Yes. Yeah. But we also, we when we put our eyes on God and we yeah. say, you are the yes. best. Yes. God, you are the best gift. Then he does give us the pleasure of the yes. world. Like he does give us yeah. often enjoying yeah. it in this world um, as it falls in order under his headship, yes. um, under his lordship as we worship him first and not the things of this world. He gives us this new, he embeds them with new meaning yeah, because we know that they're good gifts from him. Man, I love that. I hope everybody's wanting to grow in sound theology, as you mentioned. We already maintain some sort of theology to, to grow and develop their theology in a biblical sense. So what resources would you recommend for the person who's listening and they're like, man, I wanna grow and I just wanna be 50 steps ahead of where I am right now. Like, where should they start? What three resources would you recommend for somebody who wants to grow in their theology? Growing in theology in particular, I think that there are um, some great, so the resources that I have in mind are sort of more in the biblical exegesis vein. Yeah, that's great. So one of the great resources for somebody wanting to take a step towards exegetical Bible study is a free website called Bible Hub. Mm -hmm. I really love it because you can do word studies. It's very accessible to the person that doesn't know the original languages. Um, So BibleHub.com is a great free resource. Um, Then speaking of a more systematic theology, something that deals more with dogma and who God is. Uh I am a big fan of Jen Wilkins' book, None Like Him. Um, The thing that I think is so smart about her book is that it is a systematic theology, but it's sort of packaged in a way that feels super accessible. Jen Wilkins' One of her truest gifts in writing is in application and in illustration. And so she takes these huge concepts of who God is in ways that he is unlike us Mm -hmm. and then applies it to our lives in really practical and tangible ways. And so I was really encouraged by that book. I I, there are two books, the next book I'm also going to mention, but there are t- these two books I bought like candy and handed them out wherever I could. <laughs> I just thought it was such a great 
resource for those wanting to grow in theology in a really accessible kind of first step sort of way. And then the other book that I have thoroughly enjoyed that brings theology sort of into the the day-to-day, it shows us how where Jen Wilkins' book starts with the concept of God and teaches us theology, uh-huh. this sort of starts with a picture of our lives and shows us what we are believing and maybe how we need to write those beliefs. Right. Um, and that's Liturgy of the Ordinary by oh, Tish Harrison Warren. Oh, I've heard Warren. about this book. I need to pick <laughs> it up. It's so my favorite. Okay. It is so my favorite. So it, is, it just, she goes through different daily habits and sort of what they hmm. show us about Um, how our habits form us Hmm. and how they reveal what we believe. So I have really loved that one. And I could could name lots of of different resources, but those two have been particularly um, accessible for people wanting to start evaluating their theology or learning theology. Those have been two really good ones. That's really, really fun. And I think you'll be excited to hear that a couple episodes after yours, Jen's coming on the show, we're actually discussing her book that follows... Yeah, in his image. Yeah. Also very good. Also yes, very good. it is excellent. Well, yeah. obviously studying theology is one of your simple joys, but we would love to hear from you. What are three of your other simple joys, Amy? Yeah, um, <laughs> I feel like whenever I speak at conferences or whenever, you know, I have conversations like this, um, I always feel like I should be a lot cooler than I am. Um, <laughs> It's okay. I'm sitting in my closet with my shoe rack behind me. Listen. No judgment here. This is life. (laughs) You know, my husband and I, we honestly, we're never going to be like big stage people. We really are homebodies. We love being home. And so I would say if I had to pick three things that give me such daily joy, it's walking our golden retriever. Um, Me and my husband love to walk around our neighborhood and walk our dog Penny Lane. And we just, that is a daily habit that gives me so much joy in my life. I just love walking and talking with him, holding his hand. I mean, he really is the best friend that I could ever imagine. And so we just really enjoy being together. So we love that. I love our Sunday night traditions. I mean, that's just one of the very... That is the essence of a simple joy right there. It really is. You know, it's good food and it's a great opportunity for Austin and I to kind of look back over the week and look ahead at the next week. So we know that if we haven't connected, we have a really hectic week. Mm. We know that we can connect um, at that moment. Um, so that has been a simple joy. And then the third has been, this is just a really basic life thing. I really enjoy baking, but my body doesn't tolerate a lot of sugar. Uh So it's been really fun for me to experiment with, um, baking sourdough. And so I've gotten, I'm getting a little gorgeous. You and Abigail Dodds, you make me want to do this and I know it would never work for me. (laughs) I don't, I just, it seems like it takes a lot of, uh, like meticulousness. You know what? Here's the thing that I thought that at first, but sourdough is much more forgiving, which I'm so glad for. Like I can't bake things with yeast. Like yeast is super temperamental. It feels like emotional for me. Yeast feels like it's (laughs) like in a pitch of fit or something. And so I, listen, I cannot do that. Like if people are like, you know, there, there are women out there that are like making cinnamon rolls and making yeast rolls. And like, I, I just know that mine would all turn out like pancakes. And so that's fine. <laughs> Sourdough is like this living thing that you, it's sort of like scary, but also sort of amazing. Yeah, you, have so like, you have to feed it, right? You have to feed it and it sits on your counter and then you kind of watch it. And, you know, for me, for somebody who skilled in the cooking and baking department, like uh-huh. that's definitely not my skill set. It's been fun to like feed my starter and then come back the next day and be like, it's working. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> like actually it alive. Like, yeah. It feels like a real win. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. You and my grandma, you guys would get along really well. She's been keeping this one starter dough bread alive for like decades. Wow. Yeah. Well, I would love to hear who it is that's had the greatest impact on your own personal journey with Jesus. Mm, Yeah. I think the person that I, you know, I keep trying to think of people that maybe taught me something really specific in seminary or Mm. in Bible school. You know, I had, I had professors that really pivoted my understanding of soteriology. Marcus Johnson was one of my professors in undergrad who really helped me understand union with Christ Mm. as the Mm. basis of salvation. I mean, Mm. that changed my life. I had professors in seminary like Carol Kaminsky who taught me to understand and appreciate the contours of the fall in a way that I 
um, you know, and see those yeah. the ripple effects throughout the text. You know, so I had professors that taught me a lot. But when I go back to the mm. very basic reality of understanding who God is mm. and developing a craving to study the Word mm. to under, in order to understand who right. God is, there are very few people other than my parents that come to mm. mind. I mean, I remember getting mm. up when I was young mm-hmm. and both of them were always bent over their Bibles in the early morning. And we Praise knew, God. you know, yeah. I'm from a big family. I'm one of nine children. Wow. So I'm the second of nine. So there were always wow. little ones, you know, after me. There was a, you know, a bunch of kids that were born after me. And so <laughs> we would get up and it was like, you do not interrupt when yeah. they are having their quiet time because this is like the sacred day, the sacred yeah. moment of the day. My parents both knew the rest of the day might be chaos. Right. <laughs> but if you got up and they were still in prayer and they were still yeah. bent over their Bibles, you found yourself a book and you went, so, wow. you know, like you knew that that was really yeah. sacred time to them. And so I just watching mm. their daily habit, mm. I think really mm-hmm. shaped me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I sort of grew up thinking that that's what you just did in the morning, which what a gift, like what a gift to grow up with the understanding that in the morning, you know, know. before the sun is up, before your day has started, you get into the word of God. So I can think of nobody more formative Mm. in my life in that way than my parents. My dad throughout high school in particular, I remember he would ask me hard questions. And when I asked hard questions back, they just didn't rattle him. They didn't scare him. Wow. And so that was just a real gift to be able to say like, why does the God of the Old Testament seem so different than the God of the New Testament? He wasn't yeah. like, don't ask those questions. Yeah. You know, he was like, let's look at, like, let's talk about those things. And so they have just been so formative in my life as I've studied theology. And they were my first cheerleaders when I said that I wanted to go to Bible school. Mm. They were a little like, oh, that, like, they, you know, there were a lot of people that were like, that's interesting. What career path will you have out of that? But, you know, my parents were just like, that is wonderful. Let's let's do whatever we can to support you. So wow, they were really That's my tremendous. first cheerleaders in that way, which is just really really kind. Oh, that makes me want to cry. I, I just I always talk to uh, friends, you know, when we feel really discouraged in moments of motherhood. That yes, what we say is important, but our kids are so impacted simply by what we do, and mm. it's just a real encouragement to remember uh, yeah. as I'm going about my day that you know, the actions that I'm actually engaging in are impacting my kids, even if I don't feel like I have the right words to say in that moment. So, mm, Amen. It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. And they're soaking it up like sponges, you know? I know. They so totally it's are. so cool because you can have these little spirit-filled moments where mm-hmm. you say something about the Lord that, you know, might be, you know, fallen and might be like, mm-hmm. you know, you feel like you're just making this sort of broken offering, but the Lord mm-hmm. uses those things in the lives mm-hmm. of kids. I mean, I'm sure my memory of my parents studying the word, I'm sure they were like, we had to fight to get in the word every day. And yeah. I'm like, you just did it every morning. You know, the Lord just yeah. uses our like faulty, yeah. fallen, broken efforts yes. uh, to really give him glory and bring the next generation to God. So that's just so encouraging to know the Lord just does the work. You know, as we say, yes, he does the work. Yes. Well, thank you so much for that reminder. It has just been an absolute joy to sit in the closet and talk to you about theology today, Amy. I wish we had more time, but I hope that everybody will head over to the show notes so they can follow you and check out your chartreuse boards, uh, some of your theology musings, and your bread posts. Yeah, there it is. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Hunter. I told y'all you'll want to be besties with Amy when it's all said and done. Listen, I loved her encouragement to think of ourselves as theologians and to seek to develop sound theology in whatever capacity we can within the context of the season that we're in. If you want to know more about Amy or check out the noteworthy quotes from this episode, you can find all those details over on the show notes at journeywomenpodcast.com. Hey, if you're enjoying these conversations, we just want to say thank you for listening. A few weeks ago, we hit a million downloads of the podcast, which we're blown away by, and we are equally blown away by your support and your love. Hop over and connect with us throughout the week at Journey Women Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. We'll be discussing the topic of theology and prepping for next week's interview with Elise Fitzpatrick on Bible study. It is a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.